Uh, good morning. We're doing well? I'll take that as a yes. A little murmur, that's fine. Um, I made my um, second ever appearance at the 8am service this morning, um, and I learned two startling facts. One, what it's like to be up at 8am, and two, that that hall really needs better heating. It is freezing in there, so it's really good that we're here, and it's warm. So anyway, it's great to be with you. Um, this is the first time I've ever... Um, been allowed, maybe, to speak at 9.30, but I'm really excited to share this, um, this message with you guys today. Um, as you know, today is our, our Alpha Sunday, and we're looking at this topic, how to make the most of the rest of my life. This is one of the topics from Alpha, and I'm going to be sharing um, this message with you today. And when I thought about this topic, and as I read um, just the title there, there were two things that immediately jumped out at me. And the first was this. And maybe this is something that you relate to as well, or it might just be because um, I'm young and naive, maybe. But when I think about the rest of my life, I think of something that's just around the corner. You know, it's something that's just over the horizon. The rest of my life will begin when this happens. Or the rest of my life will begin when I finally finish this. You know, like when I was young and at school, it was like, the rest of my life will begin when I finally finish school. But then we finish school and something else comes and the rest of my life will begin just beyond that, just over that. And we're constantly waiting for the rest of our life to actually begin. But because we're waiting, it never comes. And I was thinking about why, why do I think like that? Why do we think like that? Why is that our tendency? And I feel like it actually comes from a place of fear. Because so often in life, our present situation isn't always the best. You know, it's a bit rocky. It's a bit uneven. It's not a great place to be. But we don't want to contaminate our possibly glorious future with our present trouble. And so what we do is we compartmentalize them. We go, the rest of my life is over there. I've just got to get through this struggle first. And we don't want to bring our struggles today into our tomorrow and into the rest of our life. But the problem with that is we're always going to face struggles. We're always going to have trials and problems. And so if we're constantly waiting for the rest of our life, we'll never get there. The reality is the reality that God has for us. You know, the Bible says this, that today is the day of salvation, right? Today is the day. And today is the day of the rest of your life. When you woke up this morning, you woke up into the rest of your life. This is the rest of your life. It starts now and it goes on. And can I just affirm that you guys have made a brilliant decision to start the rest of your life in church? You could have been there at 8 a.m., but it's all right, we'll forgive you. Like, you came at 9.30, that's good enough. You, you started today as the beginning of the rest of your life by coming together in church. It's an amazing way to start. That was the first thing that came into my head. The second thing that came into my head is how to make the most of the rest of my life. Why on earth am I speaking on this? I'm 24 and I have literally nothing to share. Like, like I feel like, well, I speak to a lot of youth, right? And the youth pastor here, and we've got some youth here scattered around. It's great to have them here with us. But when, when I speak to young people, I'm like, man, I've got so much to share. You know, I've got wisdom. I've got experience. I've got intellect. I can tell you what to do if you're 12. You know, like, I know what it's like to be 12. Like, parents, I know. Like, we can talk about that. I know what it's like to be at school. I know what it's like to be a teenager. I've got wisdom to share there. But as soon as you finish school, I have no idea. Like, I'm just entering into that realm. I don't know what it's like. What can I possibly share about the rest of our life? How can I speak into all your situations? I mean, I only know my experience. And 24 years of experience, knowledge, and wisdom has essentially taught me that I have neither experience, knowledge, or wisdom. So here we go. <laughs> but the great comfort 
The great comfort I got is that actually my experience might be limited, but God's experience is not. And God's wisdom is not human wisdom. It is is far greater. He speaks of eternal experience, eternal wisdom and intellect. And so please forgive me in a way of him speaking to us this morning. But let's let's jump into this passage, right? If you've got your Bibles open in, in Romans 12 there. There's, it starts like this, therefore I urge you. And one of the things you learn when, when you start studying the Bible, and I almost sort of resent myself for sharing this, but you learn that if, whenever there's a therefore, you've got to ask the simple question of what's the therefore, therefore, like why is it there? Because it means that there's something that comes before it that's important for what we're learning now. So if you just look over on the, the, the paragraph before that, in Romans 11, you get this amazing, and it's called the doxology there. Just listen to this. He goes, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Wow. Oh, the un- oh his unsearchable, his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repeat, repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Yes, it's amazing. And it's because of that that therefore I urge you that Paul goes into that. Because God is in all things, because God is at work through all things, and all things are ultimately for him, because he is in charge, therefore I urge you. And he goes, I urge you, brothers and sisters. That's us. We are brothers and sisters. Whether I know you but by name or by face, whether I know you intimately or not at all, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the amazing thing is that there are brothers and sisters that we've never met but one day we will meet. And one day we'll meet the very brothers and sisters who would have received this letter. Because he wrote it to them, but he speaks to us as well as brothers and sisters. So he goes, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy, because of his love for us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a sacrifice. When Paul talks about bodies there, he's not talking about your physical body. Because if you start sacrificing your physical body, you won't be a living sacrifice anymore. You'll be dead. (laughs) You can't do that. What he means by your body is your entire being. He means your life. Everything about who you are, offer that as a sacrifice to God. Whatever fills your life, whatever you would define your life by, offer that as a sacrifice to God. Give it to Him. Make sure it's all for His glory. And when it comes to like our life and you think about well, what, is, what is our life? What is my life that I can give it to God as a sacrifice? Because I think sometimes it's like there are some things that are really obvious to give to God. You know, like Sunday morning in church, yeah, give that as a sacrifice to God. That, that makes sense. You know, that conversation where you talk to someone about God, maybe you share your faith and it's like the most awkward thing you've ever done, but obviously that's for God's glory. And there are some things we know bring glory to God and we're like, great. But when he's saying give your life, he doesn't mean just those moments. He means all the other moments that fill up our life. And he's saying there is way more in our life that we can give the God the glory in. In fact, our life should be full every moment for the glory of God. And when we start living that way, when we start living every moment giving glory to God, giving Him praise and honor, do you know what you're going to realize? 
you're going to realize that there's some things you can't do and give God the glory in doing. There's going to be a time where you're going to, I want to do this, but I want to give God the glory, and they're going to be at odds with each other. And that's when you're going to have to choose. Am I going to do my own thing, even though it doesn't give God God the glory, or am I going to live my entire life, everything I do as a sacrifice to God? Because there are some things you can't. And that's the choice that you have to make, and that's why it is called a sacrifice. So we're to offer our lives, you know, our waking, our sleeping, our eating and drinking, our commuting, our arguing, our celebrating and mourning, doing puzzles. I really like puzzles, just thought I'd throw it in. <laughs> Playing sport, going to work, going to school, studying. Our entire life, our Monday mornings, our Thursday afternoons, our Saturday nights. Time spent with people that we love. Time spent with people that are really annoying. And time spent with people who we wished would love us back. God doesn't just want those impressive moments He wants the ordinary moments as well, the extraordinary and the ordinary, the obvious and everything else that consists of our life. So however you would fill your life, maybe in your last week, you can think about what have you done in the last week? What are your plans in the next week? Anything you would use to define yourself, all of that for the glory of God as a sacrifice. And I don't know your relationship with the word sacrifice, but I hate that word so much because (laughs) The sacrifice entails you, you lost something, and I don't want to lose things. I want to win all the time. <laughs> like, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I, I, just wanna, I don't want to have to give up. And when I hear the word sacrifice, to me, I think of loss. It's about losing. You sacrifice something that you kind of wish you wanted or wish that you had. And I don't want to sacrifice because it means I miss out. It means I lose. But it's the amazing thing that I've been thinking about with God in terms of of sacrifice is that when we actually sacrifice to God, it's not a matter of losing, but it's a matter of gaining. When we sacrifice to it's totally counterintuitive. When we sacrifice, we gain. And you might ask, well, okay, Johnny, if I'm sacrificing my life, like it's got to be a pretty big prize. So like, what do I gain from that? Well, you gain life. You know, okay, I get that. I get that, you know, if I give up my today and my life here on earth, I'll gain this, this life forever in, in heaven or whatever that means, over there in the future somewhere. I get that, but my problem then with that becomes, well, you're asking me to give up everything that I know and everything I've ever experienced because I've never been to heaven. I don't know what that's like. For all I know, it might not exist. And you're asking me to give up today for some possible future realm where it might be really great but that's you ask me to give up everything I know all of life every day I mean this is the only life we've ever known isn't it we've only ever lived on earth we've only ever lived this one life and you're asking me to give up all of that to hedge my bets on this future realm but I don't think that's fully the life that Jesus is talking about I mean, Jesus does say, if you want to follow me, you have to sacrifice. You have to pick up your cross and follow me. That's a sacrifice. To pick up your cross, that's a sacrifice. But he also says, I came to bring life and life to the full. If you pick up your cross and follow, if you sacrifice your life, you will gain life. Not just forever, but life here now to the full. The life of sacrifice counterintuitively is life to the full. 
It is the best rest of your life. Amen. Yes. Take that. (laughs) And then when you think about that, it, it comes back to the idea that Christianity is a faith. Right? It's a faith. We actually have to have faith in these moments. I feel like sometimes like what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to live as a sacrifice is, is kind of like the equivalent of standing on the edge of a cliff, right? You're standing on this precipice and you're looking down and it's scary and you don't know how you're, you're going to get over it. But in a distance, God is going, come to me. And you're like, this is a cliff, God. I can't, I can't get to you. I'll fall. I'll die. I get scary. I should just stay here. And God's like, trust me. Step out. Walk to me. You can do it. I'll, I'll be there. And it's like, what are you going to do to prove that I will get to you? What are you going to do to prove that this life of sacrifice is worth it? And God does this thing, which is amazing, but really annoying. He goes, the proof will be after you've stepped out, you'll get to me. And you're like, oh. And he does this all the time. He does it with, with Moses in Exodus. You know, when Moses is talking to the burning bush, um, and God's in there, and he's like, go rescue my people from Pharaoh. It's a big thing to talk to Pharaoh. And Moses goes, well, what will be the sign that this will actually happen? And what does God say? He goes, because after it's done, you'll worship me on this mountain. And it's like, that's the scariest proof ever. But that's actually the faith that God wants us to have. He goes, live your life as a sacrifice and you will gain life. But you have to step out in faith, believing that it is the best life. And once you've stepped out, you will receive that best life. And that will be the proof that your faith was, was trustworthy, that he is trustworthy. That's a really scary thought. So live your life as a sacrifice by faith. And then Paul goes on to, into verse 2. If you look at verse 2 there, he goes, Do not conform to the pattern of the world. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. And I love that Paul uses the word pattern there, right? Because a pattern is something that's so ingrained and entrenched. It's something that's predictable. You can observe the pattern. It's, it's habitual. It's, it's the mechanisms of our world. But one of the things it also means is that a pattern is something that's really hard to observe when you're in the middle of it. From the outside, you can see the pattern, but when you're right in the midst of it, you can't see that pattern. And he's saying, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Well, how do we know what the pattern of the world is if it's the only pattern we've ever known? We don't know any other pattern We don't know what it's like to live outside of a world so that we can see the pattern of the world. We only know the pattern of the world. It's like, um, who's been overseas? Put your hands up if you've been overseas. Right, keep your hands up if you've been overseas and you've been face-to-face with something from another culture that's really weird. Yeah, great. Almost everyone that's been overseas. Fantastic, right? And let's say you're in that culture and you meet someone from that culture and you're like, hey, that thing you do, it's really weird. Why do you do it like that? And they're going to be like, it's not weird. This is just how we do it. How do you do it? And you're like, well, we do it the right way. And it's like this. And they'll be like, we're not weird. You're weird. That's wrong, right? But only when we're face to face with another culture can we realize what it means to be in our culture. We have to see it from outside. But when he's talking about the pattern of the world, he's not talking about Sydney, Australia. He's talking about human nature. He's talking about what it means to be human on earth. And if we need to observe that pattern from outside of that pattern, well, that seems impossible. But then Paul goes on in verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Don't conform, be transformed. 
Paul says the way to break free from the pattern of the world is to have your mind transformed. Well, how do we have our minds transformed? Well, we need to meet something, or in this case, someone, who is not tainted by the pattern of our world. And this, this is where Jesus comes in, right? Because Jesus comes in, he comes in as a man who knows the pattern of the world. He knows what it's like to be a human. He knows the world's pattern and he knows where it leads. He knows that it doesn't lead to fulfillment. It doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to death and destruction, even if it looks good for a short period of time. And he comes in knowing that pattern. And what he does is he flips it on its head and he gives us a new pattern. He goes, no, 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 don't conform to the old way. Instead, I'm going to flip that pattern over and I'm going to provide a new pattern, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of being. He takes the old structures and goes, no, 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 in my kingdom, in my pattern, the first will be last and the last will be first. No, my, my kingdom is good news to the poor. Blessed are the meek. He totally flips it on its head. Love your enemies, he says. Pray for those that persecute you. He takes the pattern that we are so entrenched in and completely does away with it and goes, no, 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 no. Instead, here's a new pattern. Here's a new way to love your neighbor. Here's a new way to love God. The old is gone in with the new. And he's saying, if you don't want to conform to the old pattern, you need to have your mind transformed by the new pattern. And that's the pattern that Jesus gives us. That's the pattern that he shows through his life. And it's the life to the full. Don't conform, be transformed. And then comes this amazing line. Look at the last part of verse 2 there. Right? So after being transformed by the renewing of your mind, he goes, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, which is insane in itself, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What happens when you've given your life as a sacrifice and you're no longer conforming and you're now being transformed? What happens then? You get to see what God's will is. And you get to see that God's will is always good, it is always pleasing, and it is always perfect. And when you live in that transformed state of being, that gives you the resilience to face life. Because you know that no matter what you encounter, no matter what you find on your journey and on your way through life, be it good or bad, you can test and approve, God, this doesn't look very good right now, but I know because my mind has been transformed that your will is good, it is pleasing and perfect, even if right now I don't fully see that. When I was preaching in, in 8.30, just on the right-hand side of me was this picture of Jesus, a stained glass window of Jesus, and it's him in Gethsemane. And that's the result of a transformed mind, isn't it? Jesus in Gethsemane. He's about to be killed. And what does he pray? Father, not my will, but your will. I don't, that looks scary. That cross looks painful. What I'm about to go through doesn't look good but not my will, but your will. Why? Because I know that your will is always good, always pleasing, and always perfect. Even if your will means I suffer and die, I know it is for good. I know that it is part of your perfect will. And if we have a transformed mind, it means no matter what we face in life, we can, we can know that God's will for our life is good, pleasing, and perfect all the time. Even in suffering, even in trials, even in pain. We live our life as a sacrifice 
No longer conforming to the old pattern. Instead, being transformed in our mind to the new pattern. And when we live in the new pattern, we know that God's will is always good, always pleasing, and always perfect. And you might go, well, does that really answer the question? Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. But the reason why I chose this is because what it actually shows us is that when we live God's way, when we live His life, maybe a life of sacrifice, this is what leads us into the best life. Making the most of the rest of our life doesn't, it's not like a five-step program about what you should do to gain success. It's actually about sacrifice. It's about loving your neighbor. It's about being transformed because we know where the old pattern leads. And now we have a new pattern. And this new pattern is how to make the most of the rest of your life. And I just want to... I just want to make a quick point here. It's a bit of a detour, but I also don't think it is a detour, so we're going to do it. But this has just really been on my, on my heart lately. This is from the book of Genesis. Um, and in this story, we've got Isaac, who's the, the, son, um, the son of Abraham. Isaac, and he has his sons, Jacob and Esau. Right? And Jacob is the younger one. Esau is the older one. And anyway, Jacob steals the blessing from his older son, which then is a big deal. It's like stealing your inheritance from your brother. And he deceives his father, Isaac, by pretending to be Esau. And he gets the blessing from his father, and then he runs away. And then Esau, the older brother, comes in and is like, I'm ready to be blessed. And his father's like, I already blessed you. And he's like, no, you didn't. And it's an awkward moment. But he, he goes, but I, I do have like leftover blessing. There's something left that I can give you. And he gives him this blessing, which like when you read it, it sounds a bit more like a curse, right? It reads, your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches. Oh, thanks, dad. Um, <laughs> away from the dew of heaven and you will live by the sword and serve your brother. That's not a great blessing to receive from your father, is it? Not ideal. But then he says this amazing line in verse 40 in chapter 27. He goes, you will serve your brother and he goes, when you decide to break free, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. You will serve your brother, but when you decide to break free, you will throw his yoke from your neck. That's Jacob's yoke. And then it goes on to the next line, chapter 41. It goes, from that day on, Esau hated Jacob. He hated him. He'd been wronged by Jacob. Kind of makes sense that he hated him. But as I was reading this, it got me thinking, okay, well, it's funny because there's something that means Esau serves Jacob, but there's something about it that can be reversed and changed. I go, well, what's the answer to that? What is it? And then I read that next line. Esau hated Jacob. What kept Esau serving his brother? It was his hate for him. It was his unwillingness to forgive him. It was that harboring of, of malicious thought and anger that kept him serving his brother. Because when we hate and when we refuse to forgive, that is like drinking poison and hoping the person that we hate gets sick. It doesn't work. We're the ones who feel the pain. We're the ones that get hurt. It causes turmoil in us, not in them. And as long as we hate, that's as long as we are trapped. That's as long as we are in service. But if we choose to break free, that yoke will be thrown from our neck. And this is exactly the pattern that Jesus brings into our life. We prayed the Lord's Prayer earlier. And there's that line. It goes, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
The best life that you can live is following the pattern of Jesus. And that's a pattern of love. And that's a pattern of forgiveness. And if we are unwilling to love or forgive, we will constantly have a yoke across our shoulders. We will not be free. We will not be joyful. Only when we choose to break free of hate can we fully experience the freedom of love and the freedom of forgiveness. And as long as we can't forgive another, that's as long as we can't experience the forgiveness of God. And that's the freeing part of life. It's no longer hate, it's life and it's love. So how to make the most of the rest of your life? Well, it's to forgive because you have been forgiven by Jesus. And you can know that even when it's hard to forgive, that it is part of God's will and his will is good, pleasing and perfect. And how do you know that? It's because your mind has been transformed. You no longer judge in the old pattern, but in the new pattern. And how do you live in the new pattern? Well, it's a life of sacrifice, but it's sacrifice to gain. And what you gain is the best rest of your life here on earth today and forever in heaven. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to move on with the service, but let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God of love, that you are a God of goodness. Father, I thank you that you, have, you came down to earth to teach us a new way of living. Father, that you got rid of the old, you got rid of the, the oppression and futility of the old pattern of this world, and you showed us a new way of living. Father, I thank you that you have encountered us today through your word, that you have encountered us at different moments in our life. And Father, I pray that you would continue to encounter us and teach us your new way of living, your new pattern. Father, reveal to us all the ways in our hearts and minds and thinking and actions that are still akin to the old pattern and the old way, and instead transform those ways of living with a new way of living, the way of living given to us and shown to us by your Son. To him be the glory forever. Amen.